welcome to Two Therapist Tales, a podcast where Jacqueline Sabodi and Anna Zonin work to normalize conversations on mental health. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Two Therapist Tales. I'm Jacqueline Sabodi. And I'm Anna Zonin. And today we have an extra special guest with us, Allie Resnick. Allie is a licensed professional counselor and executive director of Tree of Life Counseling and Wellness Center in Freehold, New Jersey. Allie specializes in bereavement, grief, end of life, anxiety, mood-related disorders, addiction, and marital and family issues. Today we want to get together to talk about grief and how it relates to our work with our clients. Allie, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I feel like this is such a necessary topic um, for our listeners, especially our clinicians. Um, I feel like, you know, grief, bereavement, and loss are really complicated issues. And I think it's, you know, it's a hard topic for a lot of people to sit with. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I agree. I think especially during this time, there's so much grief going on, even beyond you know, actual people, you know, passing, it's more of grief of our lives. And, you know, we're grieving the life that we had and trying to figure out what it is now and making sense of that. Yeah. It's like these concrete losses, right? Like lives, jobs, employment, and then these more abstract ones, you know, life as we knew it. Right. Um, And and I do think that um, there's a lot of ambiguous loss, right? There's so many different types of loss, ambiguous loss, traumatic loss, grief, bereavement, mourning. Um, and I, I know for me, like I had like one death and dying class in my um, in their undergrad or master's level. And like that was kind of it. So like me as a clinician, not specializing it, I feel like at times I am like need more of this. So really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So let's kind of just dive in. Um, just talk a little bit about um, how can we best support our clients and loved ones in their time of grief? Um you know, again, a lot of people just feel awkward or weird um, in talking about um, those that are dying or, or loved ones that have passed. Um, we don't know how to behave or what to say. You know, should I ask, how are you? Or should we, should we ignore it and wait for them to talk about it? Um, let's talk a little bit about, like, why is this emotion so difficult for us? Um, and just, you know, why do we always try and, like, default to, like, happiness or positivity or they're in a better place, you know, like... Let's try and understand why it's hard to make sense, like space for that feeling. I think a lot of people, you know, as a culture, we tend to kind of stay away from talking about those things. And I think as time goes on, we start to open up more. But as a culture, we tend to kind of hold our feelings. Mm -hmm. And if we talk about them, sometimes it makes us vulnerable and that sometimes makes us look weak. That's the perception. Mm -hmm. The idea, though, is that not at all the case, right? You know, mental health has become more understood over the last couple of years, which is wonderful and it's great. And and I think that people are starting to understand a little bit more. And I always tell people, the more you talk about it, the more you normalize it, mm-hmm. right? And the more you normalize it, the more it becomes easier to understand. And I think for people who are going through grief, it's never best to ignore it. Um, I always tell everyone, talk about it. Tell me a a wonderful story about the the one who passed. You know, I try to bring humor into it because I feel like sometimes humor breaks that ice 
-hmm. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to laugh. It's, it's okay to cry. It's okay to do anything that you want. And I just try to tell everyone, give that person that space to do whatever they need. Yeah, I think that's what sometimes we get um, so lost and um, kind of bogged down in doing the right way of grieving. Because I remember, you know, the many shivas, shivas that I had to sit with my family when whoever passed away, some of the best moments were the funny ones because, you know, you get you're, you're cooped up with all these people for however long uh, for seven days. And, you know, it, you're kind of supposed to be sad and things like that. And thankfully, my family has a pretty good sense of humor. But sometimes there would just be such ridiculously funny things that would happen. And it would so like uh, help the heart just feel, you know, just a smidgen of lightness during some very, very, very difficult times. So I think it's okay to, I think, say to people that it's okay to laugh sometimes, even when you're, you know, sad and um, in pain and, and have heartache. Absolutely. I even tell, it's funny. I told the story of when my grandfather died, we all sat Shiva as well. And we were sitting there and the first person that came in was the rabbi to kind of, you know, talk to us. And I was devastated when my grandfather died, devastated. Like he was the first person in my life to die. And I was mm. 30. And so <laughs> I had never experienced loss. I didn't know what it was. And he, you know, this guy comes in and he starts cracking jokes. And I looked at my mom and I was like, what in the heck is happening? Why is he doing this? And my mom was like, just go with it. And that was the best moment for me because he normalized it and he made it okay. And he asked me a funny story about my grandfather and I told him. And to that day, I was like, you know what? This makes sense. This is what we're supposed to do. We're not meant to sit around and cry. It's okay to do that, but it's okay to laugh. And it helped the healing process so much faster. I think like, you know, one of the um, things I always say to clients is like, can we have space for both? Like, yes, it's like a juxtaposition or an emotional dichotomy. You know, can we have laughter and can we have our tears and can they be, can they operate simultaneously, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Mm -hmm. And anything we do, trauma, yeah. depression, we have to laugh through it sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. I guess the second question, it kind of plays into what we were talking about. So what are the different ways that people grieve? Um, I think uh, often people think that there is that right way to grieve, right? When they don't do it or don't feel something they're supposed to feel, um, it creates this layer of anxiety of, you know, am I, am I not, you know, why am I not feeling this intense this or whatever it is that you think you're supposed to be feeling? So how do we normalize any kind of grief? Because I definitely I had um, a client, a client's mother actually tell me that she lost her son tell me that she's like, I, I don't, I'm confused because I don't feel anything. Like I'm just, it's not, I, I don't know. And it, it's bothering her that that, that was going on. So, um, because she wasn't supposed, you know, she wasn't feeling this intense hurt, I guess, or whatever it was. And it was probably shock. Um, but how do we normalize and, um, talk about the different ways people grieve? Yeah. So the, everyone grieves differently, exactly what you just said. And I think it's, it's how, prepared they are for this passing, for this change. You know, I think that plays a huge part in it. If they, you know, if some, if a family member is sick and they know that it's coming, it makes it a little bit easier to kind of prepare yourself mentally for the fact that this person's no longer going to be here. Or if, you know, you lose your job suddenly, like that is, you know, unfortunately that's going to be a huge hit and it's going to be different. And I think that different ways we grieve, I tell everyone it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be mad. Just do it as, as a process. 
And I go over those five stages of grieving, you know, um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross goes over those five stages of grieving and those are huge. And I make sure to explain to everyone that those stages are not meant to be in order, right? Because it just happens. We're different people, different times. We look at things a little bit differently, how we process things. So you do it the way you need to do it. It doesn't matter how. It could be, you know, you could be angry one day, you could be accepting one day, you could be in denial one day, and you could just be sad. But it's just allowing yourself to go through the emotions. That's how we process. Doesn't matter what they are. Can you give those five stages of grief for our listeners just so that everybody knows? Yes. So I'm terrible and I never remember them. (laughs) I got you, girl. I have like a cheat sheet on my my wall because I'm like, why don't I remember these? But I should. Um, I know um, because I like to do it in order why I don't know. But um, what are the five stages of grief? It is right here. I know it's... um, Anger, denial, acceptance. Um, why am um, I bargaining and depression? Bargaining, right and depression. depression. Thank you. Right. Why am I thinking on these things? So I think that, like you know, like an undergrad, like that's what like a lot of clinicians are taught, right? Like these five stages, and exactly what you said. Like it's not linear. It's not like a start and a finish. You may bounce around to each different stage at different times, and like you know exactly what you're saying, like. Welcome each that comes to the door, right? The roomy poem, <laughs> guest house. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's it's a process. I think that's a really important message um, for, you know, clinicians and clients and just, you know, part of our, you know, one of the greatest gifts with our clients is that we get to sit with them in, in all these different stages of their life. And I think that grief and loss, if it's, you know, a very concrete grief and loss, um, whether it's the client is grieving their life and, and, and their you know, processing what that is, or you're going through it with a clinic with a client who's um, experiencing the loss of a loved one. Um, that all different things are going to come up, and th- I think that this is a really unique thing to go through with a client. Um, I think it's like, you know, for you because you specialize in it, it's probably not like one in a million, but like for some of these, uh, some of us other clinicians, um, we may not get a client that we walk through this process with them. Um, and I think that that is a huge gift to be granted that honor. Maybe once in our lifetime as a clinician, you know, I know for you a little different, but, you know, <laughs> for us. No. Yeah. Honestly, I, I agree. I think yeah. every time someone walks in and they have grief um, and I kind of get excited because we, we get to process so many different things and you don't realize how many things really tie into this idea of grief. And it's wonderful to get to know somebody and be vulnerable with them and really help them like you actually see the work that you do you know sometimes the service i think that we don't get to see a lot of the changes necessarily um they tell us that you know they have these but you know things but i think with grief you you get to be so vulnerable with people a little bit differently absolutely and it's just amazing to be able to walk through that journey with them absolutely yeah i had um a dear client of mine who in a matter of i think a month or two lost her lost her uh, um, a parent and then um, experienced a divorce um, within a month so it was so jarring and so painful and such a such a big life change for this person and to see this person do the work and where she you know the person where she is now um, about a year and a half later is nothing short of a miracle I mean it, it's it was very 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 powerful to see so much so much grief and so much loss and um, 
the trajectory of the person's life and how much, um, you know, she came through. That's awesome. <laughs> and I think giving her a shout out. Giving her a big shout out. I think to your point, awesome. though, Anna, it's like, you know, again, there's like concrete loss, like someone dying, right? Like that's what culturally we're taught. But in actuality, like, especially like with COVID right now, like there's so many other losses, right? Like loss of commencement celebrations, loss of weddings, mm-hmm. you know, like there's all of these things oh. that are so like heavy and um, different than what we've ever experienced. And I think that individuals need permission to also grieve these less concrete um, and more abstract ideas of grief and loss. And I think that can be um, confusing. Like, why am I so upset or why was it so hard? And it's like, because it wasn't, you know, what we thought life was going to look like, you know? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, just rolling kind of into some of the issues related to COVID-19. Um, individuals, clients, you know, clinicians that have lost loved ones to COVID-19, how are they going to be grieving differently? Are you seeing this with um, some of your clients, Allie, you know, not being able to say a proper goodbye to a loved one, whether it be on FaceTime, um, you're hearing a lot about that on the news, um, or just even not being able to have those proper, um, you know, like steps, right? Like Shiva or a funeral or a wake, um, you know, kind of these these passages that we have in place as as our society and culture like allows us to kind of grieve and mourn collectively together. Um, what are some of like the long term implications we're seeing? Um, and again, just these these like abstract like, loss of identity, loss of job, loss of um, employment. Absolutely, all of those things. Mm-hmm. We have addressed every one of those mm-hmm. things. I think the biggest issue um, is exactly what you said, not being able to kind of say goodbye to their loved ones or not being able to have that skin to skin, like a hug or a Mm. kiss or like, that's huge. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad because, you know, I think about it. One of my clients, we, we were talking for months about her father passing and she knew that it was coming. And, you know, as COVID hit, it hit harder for her because she said, how am I going to hug him? How am I going to be able to say goodbye? Am I going to be able to have a funeral for him? And those are the things that I think a lot of people struggle with still. I mean, yes, we can have a funeral or sativa or do these things, but it's not the same because, you know, there are limited people, you know, she got to say goodbye to her father through a window in a nursing home. Um, Not, you know, holding his hand the way she wanted or the way he wanted. Um, I see that a lot when I volunteer with hospice as well. Like the families are not able to kind of sit with them. Um, We aren't able to sit with people. That was one of my favorite things to be able to sit with people and kind of just talk to them in their last moments if they were able to. Um, And we can't do that anymore. Um, So it's, there's that challenge. And then, you know, as, you know, as you said too, you know, People are grieving jobs and who they are because they're no longer the CEO of this big company. Now they're just kind of sitting at home waiting for the next shoe to drop or waiting to hear when they can go back or, you know, trying to juggle being a mom, being a dad, doing homeschooling, trying to get this person here. It's just, it's a lot. So it's just normalizing that for people and letting them know that we're all together and it's going to be okay. Yeah, I think... Um, you know, just you you talking, I uh, brought tears to my eyes. I mean, just to be a little bit more personal, my parents right now are um, really sick with COVID. And, um, 
it's it's really really hard for me um and i you know with all god's help they'll be fine but they're pretty pretty sick and um just the overwhelming feeling of guilt and i think helplessness of not being able to do you know anything or in the thoughts of you know what what if it does it just it's it's big so i can't even imagine for the people that have lost loved ones you know how that sticks with you and how that um you know can be something that you you um you need to process because it's very very hard um not being able to um not being able to be there for for your loved ones and not do because you feel like if you're there right you can do more or you can be more or whatever it is um so it's it's very challenging i can't even imagine how much how challenging it is for those people that have lost loved ones to that absolutely i really hope your parents get well soon yeah um but yeah it's it's exactly that it's that feeling of anxiety and i think that it's the grief is so much different with people who have lost you know family or friends to covid because it's we all have this looming anxiety of i've never felt anxiety like this before in my life i've never ever felt anxiety like this in my life yeah Uh, it's it's debilitating Yes. And that's why I'm like, okay, let me give more to my clients because I understand it for the first time. I truly understand what crippling anxiety feels like. Yeah. That's what I said. The first thing I said, you know, last week I said, I now, I cannot even imagine what, you know, this, this must feel like for people that have to deal with this every single day for a lifetime. It's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. But I think all, like, also just like, saying that to your clients, it helps them. And- absolutely. Yeah, it does. I think it's also like, yeah. you know, making, at least for me, like my process, like making space for all this loss. Like, you know, in the room, we talk about attunement. You know, when our client experiences something, we experience it. Our nervous systems are constantly, you know, energetically picking up on what's going on, whether it's on Zoom or whether it's in the room. <laughs> but, you know, for me, it's like this year has just been like chronic loss, chronic loss, chronic loss. And it was like, as a clinician, I had to like readjust my capacity to feel that emotion. You know, that's not one that's that comes every day, every hour, back-to-back sessions, you know? So I think like, bravo to all us who have had to make all of this space to hold, you know, what our clients are going through and our own, right? Because it's mm-hmm. it's a paralleled experience that we're, we're going through right now as, um, clinicians we're experiencing our own loss and we're holding space for that of our clients absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. and trying to and being human with them yeah (laughs) so it's 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 i remember i think you said it i think it was the first podcast or the second podcast the one when we did on covid we're like we've been doing this for a long time we're tired (laughs) yeah right yeah. Um, so I guess the you know, the next question is we kind of talked about this is how to make space for grief. Um, and to, to, does that help ensure that our pain doesn't turn into long, long term suffering? Um, you know, making space for grief, I guess, sooner rather than later and to, to ensure that it doesn't become a thing that um, we we turn into a, a, a suffering. I, I, the, the Buddhist concept of um, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional kind of comes to mind when I think of this. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's for me personally, it's exactly what you guys have been saying, normalizing (laughs) it, right? Like being real with my, with my clients and letting them know I'm suffering too. I'm human. I get it. Let's process this together. And I feel like in just in the last couple months of just opening 
up these doors and allowing people to be more vulnerable and not, not, not that I didn't allow them to be before, but encouraging them, that's a better word, encouraging them to be more vulnerable. I think that the sessions have been that much better. So much and deeper. And just allowing people to see that I'm real. Yeah. And I think also like, you know, when we're in this pain and loss, like especially for like as, as a client, right? It's it's almost as if like you can't even imagine like when you weren't in this or that mm-hmm. it'll ever not feel like this. Like it just feels like so insurmountable. And I know like even my own process, like with my therapist right now, it's like just her presence to like hold my space you know, in terms of what's going on in my life. Like I just say to her every week, I'm like, you are just like the thing that I come to, to like just be the container, you know? And so I think about, sometimes I like walk in the room, I'm like, who's handling this? Who's the therapist in the room? I'm like, oh fuck, that's me, right? Like I'm doing that, that's me today. Um, I think it's, it's also important, you know, we have clinicians who listen to our podcast, like to know what importance we hold in the lives of those we work with, right? Like it's important to remember. Yeah. We're yeah. human, but then we also are the, the miracle workers, right? The social workers, the miracle <laughs> workers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think kind of just like what you're saying, the human part of it, like it's happened to me. I'm going through it too. Like we're in this together. We're, we're, we're sorting it out together. It's a process. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it strengthens the therapeutic relationship in a lot of ways. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Um. Okay, so do, 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 do. how do children process death of a loved one? Like, how is that different? Do you see children um, in your practice? I don't necessarily okay. see okay. children anymore. Um, I used to in the past. They um, question for, for Malia when we have yeah, that. It's, it's rough. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very concrete. Like it's here and gone. Like you know, it, and it's interesting. A lot of kids, you know, they'll bring it up and say, oh, I miss my grandpa or miss my mom or miss my dad. But for them, it's like, they're very happy to know like, okay, you know, we send up the balloon and they're in heaven or whatever they believe and they're okay. Like it's very different. Yeah. Um, Especially now that they're just thrilled. A lot of these kids are thrilled to be home with their parents (laughs) and, and just, they don't realize that grief is happening around them. I feel like they're just we don't have to go to school and I can stay in my pajamas and I can stay home with my parents. This is so cool. Like they're just <laughs> looking at it very differently. Yeah. So. Kids, kids are pretty resilient. Yeah. yeah and I think also like, you know, just for us as adults, it's like our brains, right? Like grief is such a process. Our brains are going through this recalibration, you know, losing, you know, loved one relationship, you know, you were talking about employment, you know, earlier, like that's important to remember, like yeah. our brain needs time to heal and, um, work through what has happened. Absolutely. And every time you turn on the TV, you see, you know, 20 new COVID cases. Texas has a million cases, right? Like, so every time you kind of heal a little bit, you turn on the TV and you see that. And it's like, okay, now Mm -hmm. we're back to step maybe 1.5. You know, it's (laughs) just think constant. Yeah, it is. And, you know, with that, it's like, it's calling us to just like slow down and like, press pause and like go inward and and reflect on like what is happening like this is very very different than anything any of us have gone through right so yeah. this is like big call to action that grief um asks of us yeah absolutely but i, I think i agree with you with that children at least the ones that i've seen um and the the, the concrete ways that they um 
process some of these things. I just, it, it reminds me of my cousin who lost her mother um, a couple of years ago. And I remember at the um, funeral, the rabbi said to her, the rabbi was talking and he said, you know, every time you look in the mirror, you'll see your mom. So, and then it was a, it was a couple of hours later and we were like eating and she's in the bathroom looking at in the mirror, like looking in the mirror. And my mom was like, what's going on? What are you doing? She's like, the rabbi said, I'll see mom. Aww. So she, and it like breaks my heart every time, but she was legitimately looking in the mirror mm. um, for my, you know, for her mother. Mm. So it was so like such a concrete thing for her. Um, but, you know, and I guess maybe as adults um, looking back, it's a different way of looking back and processing that grief that maybe you have experienced when you were really young. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. How do we deal with sudden loss? How, um, how do you how to avoid constantly feeling like the rug will be pulled out underneath your feet any second because um well unfortunately it has so how not to fear the possibility of it happening again um what are like the raw emotions and shock that usually accompany um sudden sudden loss sudden loss is a lot of guilt um anxiety that this will happen to somebody else or um to you, um, you know, or this idea of, uh, you know, it's never going to be okay. Like I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. It's never going to be okay. Um, and I do a lot of DBT with people, right? Like be mindful, journal to these people, write, write a letter. So that way you can have some sort of a closure, right? And normalize those feelings because unfortunately, in this global pandemic, this is a natural feeling that we all have, right? This idea of like sudden loss, we never know what tomorrow brings, right? Tomorrow, you know, literally tomorrow, the, the bars and restaurants are closing early. So they could tell us that we might be in a lockdown again. So that's a loss that we have to stay in our homes again. You know, so it's just being mindful of your feelings and being vulnerable enough to share them with somebody. I encourage everyone to talk to a therapist, talk to a friend, um, journal, use breathing techniques, do it, you know, use your whole toolbox, take it all with you and just use it all until it feels right. Yeah. I, um, uh, I, I, again, like thinking about some of the family that I've had that have had some loss, it's, it is that, I think that anxiety that follows you that, along for many, many years that this is, this is something that just can happen um, again with that rug being pulled out from under you because it's so like somebody was completely okay one second and they're just, they're not no longer here. Um, yeah. So. And it's normalizing that feeling cause that's scary. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a very different kind of, I'm sure, um, grieving process than having somebody be, you know, the kind of maybe anticipating in some way that they are going to not be here anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about yeah. um, kind of Kubler-Ross's like stages um, versus waves, you know, so just like that, the fact that you can bounce in and out of these stages. So um, just the next one, um, as clinicians, what is our experience when a client dies? So um, have you, Ali, have you ever had anybody pass away that you worked with? Oh, I worked for hospice. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, 
and this is going to sound terrible and I don't mean it this way. The first time someone dies, it is absolutely awful. You know, you feel all the emotions because it's scary and you've worked so closely with this person and you, um, you become, I feel like after a while, these people become like family. Like these clients are like family, you know, everything about them. They know your deepest, they, I know their deepest, darkest secrets and I help them through so much. And you know, but then, you know, and then they pass and that's okay. And, you know, we process that and we, you know, I work with the families and we grieve. And after it happens like 30 or 40 times, it kind of just becomes normal in a way, like I expect it. And in a way I'm happy that it's happened because I know that during their last sessions, like when I know it's kind of coming to the end, I make sure that all of their wants and wishes are known and heard by their family so that when they pass, they can have this sense of relief to know that one, their family knows everything that they want and they're going to be okay. They have this like clear head that they could just go and it's okay, but it's sad. And I think also it depends on how, you know, they pass. I had a client years ago, like I was an internship that passed of suicide totally not expected. I, I'm still not okay from, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I think it just takes time, you know, and it's, it's different. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. yeah I've had, um, I want to say a couple, yeah, three, one recent one that I've worked with for a long time. That was very, um, it's, it's different when I, what, for me, it's different. It, I feel it, it's different because it's like, yes, you know so much about these people, so many aspects of their lives, all this stuff, like, yeah, like they are part of your family. I also worked with a, a person's family. So I knew mom, dad, you know, all these people. And then you, so you feel this overwhelming sense of loss and grief, but it's like kind of like, well, my family doesn't know this person and how special they were to me. So that's a hard, that's the hard part for me. Like that other people in my life don't know, you know, the importance or whatever, what place in my heart and my life that that person held for me, obviously, because they don't, you know, know this person because they're my client. I work with them. It's confidential. Um, and that's, that's, that's the complex part in my, in, for me, that was that I'm like, okay, how do I share, you know, um, this relationship or the memories that I have of this person and who they were? Um, I guess you just have to do it within yourself. <laughs> Well, you know, I think peer supervision is, is key yeah, you know, if yes, we talk to each other. Um, and obviously we're not mentioning names, so it's, it is right. still confidential, right? So talking to each other, having my own therapist or your own therapist, you know, giving yourself space the same way we would tell our clients, giving yourself the space to process it, journaling, you know, um, writing them a letter, just like a final goodbye. That was the one that passed of suicide, that was the one thing I did. I was like, okay, you know, I have to practice what I preach here. So let me do this. <laughs> and I did that and it actually was very helpful. And, you know, it's just knowing that it's okay to talk to each other um, and opening that space up for each other and being there because we're all going through something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, my client this week, he uh, was a really beautiful soul. He, um, transition this week he lost his battle with brain cancer um after a four-year fight um his name was augustus his mom was okay with me sharing that she said let the world know how special augustus was um but just beautiful old soul and so walking through this process with him over um the last year and a half that i've been 
treating him, you know, you get to know people. They're these really deep parts of them, um, especially when you walk through them with, with death and dying. It's very different than, you know, any other part of his life, especially as a 16 year old. And, um, you know, just hearing him, especially like in his last dying days, um, be able to access hope and love. Um, that's something that'll stick with me for the rest of my life. I already feel his energy. I already hear him talking and, you know, to me with my clients, you know, they make these, these cases make you a stronger clinician. Um, I talk often with his mom just about what old soul he was. And, um, you know, for me, it was like, he was too good and too big for this world, you know, and that's why he, we only had him for this short amount of time. And just, you know, the things he taught us. Um, and to your point, just letting his family know, you know, like, these were his wishes. He wants a celebration of his life. He wants goldfish eaten at that celebration. Um, and just, you know, for me, you know, it's like, and I know we, we, we've mentioned this, it's like the love we have for our clients. You know, we don't really get to talk about that part. You know, it's a professional relationship, but it's so personal. Um, and just his family, I mean, allowing them to allow me in to do this work with him. You know, I know they say, well, thank you for you, but but no, like, thank you to them and thank you for him. You know, this will probably be for me one of the, again, like once in a lifetime type of cases. Um, my dog is a pet therapy dog. And so she would come and do the work with me and they had a really special bond. And that was um, really, really sacred. And, you know, the day he passed, I was working and that was okay. I needed to be, you know, with my people, which are my clients, and um, the leaves are falling, and I love this time of year. And it was just as if like he was sending the leaves falling, like just feeling his energy. And uh, feathers have always been a message for me. You know, whenever you need like a sign from above, and all is okay. And um, the day that his mom had told me over the summer that his his um, tumors were growing again, and um, you know things weren't looking good. I was on the phone with her and I was outside taking a walk and this huge feather just fell from the sky. And I was like, and that's him, you know? And so I know, um, and I think his family knows too, like he will be with us. He will he will continue to influence us and, and shape who each of us are. Um, and anyone that had the gift of knowing him knows that. Um, and it's just, you know, these cases are painful. And so like, you know, I can't imagine for you going through this and walking through this with so many clients, you know, it's really, really um, tremendous work. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're all crying. Uh, <laughs> oh gosh, I like to pretend that I'm like I'm okay, but then I hear no, things like, it's okay. <laughs> We're all hot messes right now, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's a lot, you know. And I think, you know, I always I've talked to my own therapist about this idea of. Um, how, you know, because I look at all of my clients as family yeah. because they become like, as you said, with justice, you, you, you learn so much about them and it's so vulnerable and it's so different than anything you do. Any other relationship that you have, yeah. it's very different. So different. And with, with grief clients, it's heavy work, heavy, heavy work. And when, they leave this earth or when, you know, they get better and they, you know, and then they're okay. And then, you know, in a couple of years, maybe they're not, but they come back. Like, it's just so hard. And it feels like a piece of me is gone. And oh, so absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love but I also you, learn from it. Oh yeah. And I love what you said about um like holding and kissing and like he was at home. And um so it, our last visit, like a lot of our visits um towards the end were at home, which was wonderful. But it was holding his hand and, you know, combing his hair and telling him, you know, we love him and, you know, being able to sit in his bed with him and, and him transitioning like safely and with love and support and him feeling all of that, you know, as he transitioned from this life into his next life. You know, I think I really love that you shared that because it's good to know, like, we did right by Gus, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? He was okay because he passed. Honestly, like, it sounds strange, but that's what I've noticed. You know, working in hospice, a lot of times if they, if the, if the person doesn't feel safe and like it's ready to go, like they just kind of hold on. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. That's really good to know. And yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of times, like I've seen it. And then as soon as their family members will leave and they're yeah. like say their goodbyes, the person will pass. Right. Like, yeah. so it's, if so, yeah, I've heard that a lot too. You have to give them yeah. permission to do it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So think about how amazing that was for, for Gus. Like you were able to do that for him. Yeah. And his family. We and were. He yeah. Felt so comfortable. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, that's true. That's comforting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah his Absolutely. mom was so cute. She was like, I just love to keep him all fresh and clean and looking nice, you know. And oh. it was important to her. She took such great pride in, in making sure he felt good taking this transition and this next step. Yeah. Yeah. So that when he, you know, enters into his next realm whatever that is yeah he feels good about himself yeah and he's looking down you know whatever you believe in but he's looking down going all right cool they got they did everything for me and i feel good he was a super handsome little little stinker Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and i think you know for him a lot of it was like loss of what it was to be a 16 year old yeah he lost out on a lot you know he loved his friends and he loved his Little League and girlfriend and he was in high school and he took a lot of pride in that and he was on the student council and um, all of those parts of his life were super defining and um, we did our best to keep them in place. Um, but that part was hard, you know, and, and yeah. all we can do is validate like, yeah, that sucks. You you got you got shortchanged to us like that sucks, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes that's the key, you know, to help normalize it. Yeah, it's just validating their feelings of you're right this does suck yeah yeah i was like what uncanny timing to have this podcast this week (laughs) (laughs) of course i right of course (sighs) how can friends and family be supportive around this time how what what kind of uh you know advice or can we i guess it would be similar to like you know just allowing whatever or holding space for whatever comes up to come up or whoever's grieving or right. Absolutely. I tell everyone, you know, if, if, you know, your best friend has lost somebody, go up to them and say, do you need to laugh? Do you need to cry? Do you just want to sit in silence? Do you know, you want to watch your favorite movie? Tell me what you need and I'll be there for you. That's what we need to do for each other. You know, ask, ask the person what they need. And if they don't know, I'm always a firm believer in humor. That's my go-to. So I'll make you laugh. (laughs) (laughs) And it helps. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How about just the spiritual aspects of grief, Um, whether it's individual, whether that's socially, whether that's culturally, right? Like some um, cultures will celebrate, you know, versus 
you know, that traditional mourning and, and grief and crying and, you know. Yeah. It's interesting because for me, I was raised, you know, we're, we're Jewish. So for us, we mourn for seven days. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I got older, I didn't like that aspect. <laughs> I, I wanted to celebrate life a little yeah. bit. Like I didn't like the fact that we were surrounded by this sadness because I was seeing other cultures, like um, some of my clients that, you know, um, they would have like these celebrations of life. And I loved that. Yeah. I thought, yeah. oh, wow, what an amazing, like positive way to spin this instead of sitting in a hole with all your family eating food that everyone else brings and just sitting on boxes. And I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I'm going to do it different. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So, you know, I think I embrace everybody's culture and I talk to everybody about different, different things that other cultures do, you yeah. know, to find out what I makes sense that. for them. Mm-hmm. That's cool. For me, yeah, I just kind of go with what they we have and yeah. I learn. Yes. Yeah. And that is the cool part about, you know, being in this work yeah. is you can you can understand what how people do it differently and maybe make it our own. Absolutely. Yeah. And um just to finish up, how is this a lifetime process for future how is it it how it this grief is a lifetime process for future memories and expectations? So right. Like- future yeah. like like birthdays and that person's missing or a wedding and that person's missing or yeah i we try to prepare people mm-hmm. for those things as much as we can to let them know and again depending on your beliefs like are they still with you you know some people believe that their families are are still family members are still with them and i kind of bring that with them, you know, say, okay, you know, dad's looking down on you on your 17th birthday. That's super cool, you know, and kind of bring that with you. But I tell everyone it is a process. And on those days, allow yourself to have those feelings, whatever they are. If, if it's sadness, if it's happiness, because, you know, you're in the moment and that's okay. And you want to feel sad later. That's okay. Have all those feelings because they are normal. And maybe look through. So I give everyone this book, which is grief day by day. Um, Who writes this that by? uh, Jan Warner. Jan Warner, grief day by day. Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Of course it is Mm -hmm. amazing. And I tell everyone to get this book. Um, I don't know this woman, so (laughs) (laughs) I just, (laughs) but I, what I like about it is that she breaks it down into 365 days Mm. and every day, you know, she writes this little blurb and it's a quote or whatever. Um, and I tell everyone journal, journal about that quote every day. And, and the days that are harder, go back and look at, at day one or day two and see where you were at and know that and see where you're at today and know that it's okay that you're here again, but you look at all the progress that you've made. Right. And so on birthdays or, um, Christmas or Hanukkah or, you know, Thanksgiving, those are typically harder days for people. Tell them, go back, look at your book, know that it's okay and process that all over again. And we'll do it again. And that it does help to know that it's normalized. Yeah. And I think, you know, you said something earlier. It's like, it doesn't have to be like, like this isn't, we don't have to make this like a thing that is like accepted or like easy, you know, like it can, it can be hard on your 17th birthday as he watches down on you, right? Like there, again, there's yeah. space for both. Like it can be okay yeah. and it cannot be okay. Hour by right. hour, day by day, like whatever may show up may feel different and confusing, but all of it is right because it is your process and the process isn't going to finish, right? Like that's 
Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, it, you know, it's, it, I tell everyone, this is a constant battle. It's going to be all, yeah. you know, one day you're going to be fine. Six months from now, you might be sad about nothing. It's okay. Yeah. And, also, and also just like the nature of all different types of losses, right? Disenfranchised grief, ambiguous loss, dramatic loss. Like, you know, we're, maybe there wasn't a body to, to mourn over, or maybe we don't know the full context of what happened, you know, what occurred and, and it is more abstract and, you know, other people have moved on and you're still in it. Like, that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Allie, off the top of your head, any like recommendations that you can suggest? So I know like you're, you know, in grief and bereavement, you know, um, Steffi's Place is also like a great local resource in Monmouth County. Um, any like groups or, you know, support groups for COVID that you've come across? Anything like that that you could share with our listeners? The book was an awesome suggestion. Yeah. So um, I, always recommend Steffi's place. They are absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, their groups are fantastic. Yes. Um, very helpful. And, um, I also, re- uh, we, we have a COVID group at our, Great. um, practice fantastic. that Warren, one of our clinicians, uh, is running and it's more of just a COVID support. It could be for anything, but it's, it started as more of like the anxiety about COVID. Sure. Um, so there, there's that also, um, but I, I always recommend everyone read this book. It's, it's absolutely awesome. amazing. It's, it's my go-to. Amazon, Amazon. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like yeah. $9 on Amazon. Just go get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I, we really appreciate it, Ali. This was um, a really Thank you important so much. and necessary Thank you for having me. podcast. Yeah. We appreciate it. Um, just uh, next time on Two Therapist Tales, please join us as we welcome Jamie Hanley, psychotherapist and yoga therapist. Jamie will be helping us create a sense of peace and calm during the pandemic holiday season. And our closing quote is from Washington Irving. There is sacredness in tears. They are not the mark of weakness, but of power. They speak more eloquently than 10,000 tongues. They are the messengers of overwhelming grief, of deep contrition, and of unspeakable love. So thanks again, Allie. And we will catch you guys next time. Thanks. Thank you so much. Bye.